Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and what makes it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that impacts your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deeper dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand it better. And finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to submit a question for the show. So if you'd like to ask me a question, Go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll find the link to submit your question. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market, an economic update, and this week is weekly data, and it's for the week ending July 17th. And overall, it was another good week in the stock market. The Dow went up about two and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 went up one and a quarter percent. The NASDAQ was the only loser of the week, but remember, it's had tremendous gains this year, both before the pandemic and then after the pandemic with people's new reliance on technology. So it went down 1.08 percent. Gold went up about half a percent. West Texas Intermediate went down 0.05%. So really, we should say it was flat. It's hovering around $40 a barrel for front month. So it's certainly at a better price than it was just a month or two ago. The 10-year Treasury yield was down almost 4% which means that if you owned a bond fund, you were, up, you were up this week. If you owned the AGG, which is a fairly common aggregate bond exchange traded fund, you were up about 0.3%. Just because I give that name of a holding doesn't mean that I'm advocating you're buying it, but it's an interesting proxy when you're trying to look at how a basket of bonds is performing if you should own it. So today, I want to talk about the potential of an additional stimulus package. And remember, the House passed a stimulus package that went to the Senate and nothing happened. And it looked for a while like nothing was going to happen. The senators were wanting to look to see how the stimulus they had already put into the market reacted and to see whether or not anything else would become necessary. Well, it's looking like it's going to be necessary. So my opinion is I don't think they pass the CARES Act. I think they pass some legislation that they create, and then that will go back to the Senate and they'll or go back to the House, and they'll start hammering out the details. So we'll just have to watch and see what's going on. It won't help the Senate's inaction based off of what both Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen said this last week about the economic recovery. Remember, they are both Fed chairs, and Bernanke 
was ahead of Yellen. And remember, Ben Bernanke was the Fed chair in the 2008 financial crisis, and Yellen was the Federal Reserve chair right before our current Fed chair. They are both very worried about an uneven economic recovery, saying that there will be parts of the economy that are doing quite well, but other parts that are going to have very serious repercussions. And there are many people who are still in jobs that cannot go back yet. You know, we talk about the country reopening and we talk about everything being open for business, but there's many jobs that haven't reopened and they're affecting a large percentage of people. Additionally, there are situations where People are in hot zones and sections of the, of the economy are slowing down. They're not being able to stay open the way they were expecting. So both Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen are calling for an additional stimulus package. Now, Janet Yellen said that it should be at least $1 trillion with a T dollars and that she wanted the $600 additional unemployment benefit to continue. Well, if you're listening to this show and you live in Oklahoma, where I broadcast from, for a number of people who are receiving unemployment, when you add $600 a week onto the benefit that you're receiving, maybe you're making more on unemployment than you were in your job. But for other parts of the United States, that's not the truth. And we don't want people losing their homes. We don't want a major housing crisis to emerge in the middle of this. And right now that's looking like a real concern that when people lose the $600 that they're receiving now and they're still not back at work, many times earning more than that, they're not going to be able to pay the bills. Add to that the possibility that schools are going to reopen or not, and do you need childcare? And so for people to work, they have to have childcare. Right now, truthfully, a good portion of the economy is in an outright mess, and we're going to have to get a lot of things to come together before everything starts rolling along as it needs to. Now, If you're concerned about the deficit, you wouldn't be alone. There's a lot of people right now who are concerned with putting another trillion dollars in and what is that doing to the deficit. But former Chair Bernanke says that that shouldn't be a concern of ours right now. And I never really thought he was tremendously progressive when it came to looking at deficit issues. But he said that there is still a huge appetite for American debt And with interest rates so low, we are not paying a lot as a nation to borrow the money. Now, things can go wrong, but certainly it will take a long time for interest rates to go back up. There may need to be some actions taken down the road once this crisis around the pandemic is put to bed. We may have to do something, but this isn't the time or the place to do it, according to... um, Chairman Yellen or Chairman Bernanke, I tend to think they're right. I tend to think that we are not in a situation that has good options right now, that there aren't, there isn't the great way to go out of this, but we don't want the economy to tank. And quite frankly, whether they close the economies or not, 
If people are afraid to go out and participate in the economy, they're not going to go. You, you cannot force people to come in when they're afraid to come in. And so with additional potential closures, with things that haven't opened yet and may not be opening now until 2021, you know, anyone involved in any of the arts through concerts or theater or any of those things, there is nothing going on right now. And there's not going to be until 2021. That's only one small piece of our economy. There are other people who have been hurt just as badly. Their recommendation is that we do what we need to do to keep things going forward. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I hate to wish someone happy event a little bit late, but last week was Consumer Financial Protection Week, which I didn't find out until I read an article on Friday talking about the level of complaints that have been issued to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And since the COVID-19 pandemic has come about, there have been a record number of complaints issued by citizens to CFPB for unfair financial practices, mostly on the part of lenders or landlords, where people are issuing complaints at absolutely record numbers. Now, there is no doubt that the COVID-19 crisis has led to people having financial problems. And if you've listened to this show in weeks past, you know that I've told you that if you're in financial trouble, your very best bet is to talk to the people that you owe money to, you know, especially if you don't think you can pay it. I know that our first reaction is not to want to talk to people when we owe them money. In fact, sometimes we see their name come up on caller ID and we don't take the call because we don't want to talk to them. That is exactly backwards to what you need to do. You need to talk to the people to whom you owe money and you need to try to find out some way of paying them off over time or maybe getting a deferment. Now, if that doesn't work, if you believe that they are being unfair to you, that's when you can contact the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and try to get them to help you out. Remember, this was created 10 years ago. It was Elizabeth Warren's brainchild, although she never was the head of the CFPB, trying to provide financial consumers a voice within the government to help them with problems if they're not getting anywhere anyplace else. The CFPB is not as strong today as it was four years ago, but they are at least making the effort on some fronts to help consumers. And if you're having problems, I would recommend that you contact them, at least issue the complaint there. What they're saying is now 20%, one out of every five complaints, has mentioned the coronavirus pandemic specifically. So if you're needing some help, this is probably the easiest time, given the number of extenuating circumstances that we have, to maybe get a little relief. You may not have any money. You know, we talked about that in the last section, and in just a second, we're going to talk in more detail about the potential stimulus package. And you need to do what you can to keep your finances held together. There is the potential 
of a real mortgage and renting crisis on the horizon as people can't pay their mortgage payments. They can't pay the rent that they own. And so the amount of foreclosures and the amount of people being evicted could really become problematic. So we don't want that to happen. We really don't want that to happen to you. So do as many things as you can in advance to try to work it out so you don't get into that situation. So again, when I was reading this week, probably the biggest legislative topic has been the potential of a second stimulus bill. And it does look like something's going to happen. So the question is, what's it going to be? There's a number of ideas that have been raised. Of course, (laughs) I could say practically anything I wanted to now for the next minute because there's all kinds of ideas that are all over the map. What it tells you you need to do is two things. One is you should always listen to the news yourself. You should always listen to try to get information so that you get it from the original source. You're not just listening to me. But you should also listen to the show. And remember that I have a podcast that, quite frankly, is usually just this radio show. But one of the things I'm going to try to start doing is providing updates with extra podcasts if something happens in the middle of the week. So if there have been events, if you will go to Ask Peggy Doviak about your finances, I don't know why I added my last name to the name of my podcast. I shouldn't have. I should have left it as Ask Peggy about your finances, just like the radio show. But you can find it under um, iTunes. You can find it under CastBox. And you'll be able to then listen in case there's something that comes up. And I will be sure to keep you guys in the loop. Some of the more unusual ideas that are being touted right now as potential as potential benefits would be a $4,000 travel bonus given to families to take trips and to help the tourism and hospitality industries. I don't know about that one. That that seems that seems to me to be problematic if people are wanting to try to figure out how to travel safely. That's just my opinion. We'll see. I don't know if it's going to make make the um cut at the end of the day or not. There is talk about keeping the $600 a week um unemployment additional payment, but they're also talking about instead of doing an unemployment benefit doing a return to work bonus. So if you get a job, you get a bonus. That's good in one sense. If you have a job, it's not so good if the job that you have just isn't back yet and you you can't do anything about it. But they are, they're floating that. There's also the possibility of a payroll tax cut. Now, payroll taxes are your social security and unemployment taxes that you pay when you have a paycheck and your employer pays them as well. A payroll tax cut would not only benefit the individual, it would benefit the business. It is a component of an additional stimulus package that President Trump really wants. He absolutely wants a payroll tax cut as part of the next package. I am not sure it will go through. It may have to go through in order for the bill to be signed. We'll have to just watch on that. It would be nice if you didn't have to pay as much payroll tax. 
it would be nice for the businesses if they didn't have to pay as much payroll tax. However, if you're unemployed and not getting a paycheck, a payroll tax cut is not actually going to do you very much good. So we'll just have to wait and see how all of this plays out. Um, an infrastructure package is the last piece that's being floated. Certainly, we need an infrastructure package. And my soapbox would be we need a technology infrastructure package. Because one of the biggest problems that we have right now when schools are trying to figure out what to do in the fall is lack of high-speed internet in a lot of people in more rural areas. You don't have to get very far outside of a big city, especially in the middle of the country, to hit an area that does not have reliable high-speed internet. When you don't have high-speed internet, it becomes almost impossible to come up with a way to provide online learning. Because videos, you know, anytime you stream anything, it takes so much bandwidth. So my opinion is as kind of a middle to long-term solution, maybe even as a separate bill. When we're looking at infrastructure, we need to look at technology infrastructure as well so that if we are placed in a situation where we have to work remotely, everyone in the United States has equal access to the same level of quality coverage so that that distance remote working becomes possible in any scenario that would allow it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about how to determine what kind of life insurance might be an appropriate purchase and how much you should buy. And I want to start out by telling you a story. I was having lunch with a colleague at an Italian restaurant and he made the comment that he had never seen an estate planning issue that couldn't be solved through the purchase of life insurance. And I asked him if he recommended that his clients do some estate planning first and try to create some strategies for lowering their estate tax liability. And he said, no, I just sell them more life insurance so they can pay the estate tax that they owe. And I nearly choked on my breadstick and never actually had lunch with this individual again. So let me help you try to figure out how much life insurance might make sense for you and what kind of life insurance might make sense for you. And I want to start beginning, of course, with you've got to talk to your financial planner. You know, I'm such a proponent of the certified financial planner um, designation. You want to talk to someone to help you with some of these calculations, and you want to talk to someone to make sure that there isn't something in your own particular situation that would make this not work, okay? So these are just some general guidelines, but you very well may need to address some issues yourself outside of what I'm talking about today. So we're going to really simplify kinds of insurance down to two kinds, and I know there's more, but I'm going to really break it into two parts for today. Whole life insurance and term life insurance. And whole insurance is insurance that when you purchase it, it exists from that day until your date of death. So it covers, if you will, your whole lifespan. 
Term insurance, on the other hand, insures a period of time or a term. So maybe you have 20-year level term, which means the premiums remain the same. That's why they call it level. And the policy is in place for 20 years. Now, at the end of 20 years, you don't have life insurance anymore unless you buy an additional policy or make some adjustments to the policy that you have. It can be very expensive to buy term insurance once you're 20 years older. So you want to look at your situation to decide what makes the most sense. And I know I've heard People say buy term and invest the difference. So you pay much less for term insurance. So you save the money that you didn't pay for your whole life premium. And you go ahead and invest that. And then you have an investment account in addition to your term policy. I'm going to tell you that anytime something makes a slogan, they've probably forgotten some details. I, I do not believe that financial planning is easy. And I don't, make, I don't think it makes good bumper stickers. I've seen situations where buying term and investing the difference made sense. I've seen situations where the insurance need was actually so great that it would be very difficult to have any confidence that the difference in the price of the policies would get you where you needed to be, especially if something happens to you earlier, not later. So you want to be really careful with that. There are some cash flow considerations that are going to begin to help you figure out how much to buy and whether or not it needs to be permanent or for a period of time. So let's talk about some of those considerations first. Do you have bills that need to be paid at your death? Now, if you do have bills that need to be paid, then it's really likely that you need life insurance. And if you have a spouse or a partner, if you have kids, these days, sometimes you have a parent that you're trying to help take care of. Do you have someone in your life who will have a negative financial consequence if you die? If the answer to that is, you probably, is yes, you, you probably need insurance. So you're trying to figure out how much. If you have debts that need to be paid off at your death, then you'll need to make sure that the insurance is adequate to cover all of those. And you and your partner may want to talk about what that means. Maybe you want to make sure that the house is paid off. And so you want to make sure that your insurance policy is big enough to cover that. Maybe there's other bills that, that don't die with you that you want to make sure are covered. So that's the first round of things you need to deal with. Then remember that even though your children, if you have any, will receive a check each month from Social Security until they're grown. Oh, by the way, grown according to Social Security means 16 years old. It's not going to be very much. And you know kids are expensive. And so you and your spouse or your partner need to look at how much money is coming in and does the insurance need to be enough to pay the kids' expenses? Now, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here, and I'm going to tell you this is complicated. So I'm going to make it as easy as I possibly can, and I'm going to suggest that you then go talk to a financial planner to get the rest of the details. Basically, if you need a dollar in a year, and that money is invested at all, 
you don't need a dollar today. You need a little bit less. So let's assume that you're earning 3% a year, and in one year, you need $103. Okay, so today, to get that, you'd put $100 in. When you're trying to figure out how much life insurance to purchase, you're going to get it at a lump sum at the time of your death. And you need to figure out what all of the values of all those future needs are going to be, then discount it back to the present value. If you're using a cash flow calculator, you would call it the present value of a sum. But if you need $103 every year and you're making 3%, well, then you need $100 for next year. But for two years out, you need less than that. For three years out, you need less than that. So when you're trying to figure out how much money to cover an expense, you want to remember to discount the sum of money. Don't just take that need, multiply it by the number of years, and have that amount. Now, you're discounting it by a very small amount, by a rate of return that when that money is inherited, it can be invested and probably earn that amount. This is not the time to get brave and to take a lot of risk. But you don't have to have the entire amount of future need in present dollars in order for it to work out. Okay, so that is conceptually at the root of all of this. And you probably will need to talk to a financial planner to get those, to get those details worked out. So until the kids are 16, what are they going to cost? Do you want to pay for their college education? You need to figure out that amount. Now, here's really where it gets awkward because your spouse gets, or partner, gets some money for the kids until they're grown. And then there's a period where that spouse isn't going to get anything at all. So that period between when the kids are grown and the spouse retires may be where that spouse has the most need because they'll be living purely on their own money. If you have retirement savings, they'll get that when they reach retirement age. So what I see happens a lot is people need money while the kids are little, they need money um, while you're waiting to retire, and then once you've retired, sometimes there isn't a need anymore. That's a really good example of where term might make sense. Because if you've got a nice retirement account that your spouse is going to get, when they retire, that's going to take care of them in retirement, maybe. So what you do is you break the life into pieces. You have to look at your own situation to decide what they are. But generally, it's until the kids are grown, while the kids are in college, between college and retirement for your spouse and your spouse in retirement. Come up with the needs for each of those, discount it appropriately, and that will give you an idea of how much life insurance might make sense to buy. It's a much better formula. It's used by the CFP board. It's used by the College for Financial Planning than just randomly pulling a number out of the air and saying, I'm gonna get $2 million of insurance. You know, that might be too much. It might not be enough. You're not going to know until you've actually done the numbers to see what the cash flow is. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. 
And I can't believe how fast this show's gone. Fortunately, I have a quick question to end with. This week, someone asked me, Peggy, I'm moving and purchasing a new homeowner's insurance policy. Do I need to remember anything? And yes, you do. There's several things you need to really pay attention to. One is different kinds of assets have different default coverage levels. If you have a lot of jewelries or guns or cash, you may need a rider to adequately cover your possessions. Remember that traditional policies don't cover naturally occurring floods or earth movement. You may need another policy. Make sure that you purchase adequate replacement insurance in case of catastrophic loss and look at any outbuildings to make sure they are covered. This will help you be properly insured. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.